about to get into the book of Genesis. How many have enjoyed Genesis so far? All right. I've I've really enjoyed it. I've learned a lot. Uh, we're praying about what comes next. We're working on some special projects and things and a little bit of variety even to our teaching and things like that that are going to come up and hopefully bless your life. So uh, we're going to open in prayer. Um, God, we thank you for the opportunity to be here to learn your word. Thank you for the graciousness to allow us to learn it and that you left your word with us that we'll have a way to live. And we ask that you touch our hearts and our mind as well as our own mind family so that as they worship with us, God, your spirit will be with them and they will grow, um, grow from that. We'll give you praise and thanks in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Somebody give a God a hand and clap of praise and welcome all our online family that's coming and growing. And we're grateful for all of those people. Uh, and we are in the book of Genesis, chapter 42. We only have about eight more chapters in Genesis. Can you believe that? Um, Genesis is a rather lengthy book, not as long as Psalms, but it needs some good foundation uh, to begin to tell us about some things in the promised seed. Uh, be in prayer for us as we're getting ready to start preparing our next uh, Bible study series and sermon series are in the works coming together. Uh, and uh, I think uh, they're going to be very exciting and very excited about them. Uh, for those, if you're watching online, for those, I know Sister Mester uh, watches. Sister Mester, you weren't, weren't in the room. Dorothy Mester, but we just finished praying for you. Uh, Brother Dave, we just finished praying for you. For all of you who are part of our fellowship that need prayer, we're praying for you. Brother McLaughlin. Um, for Sister Dara, uh, for Stuart Norton uh, Gilman, uh, for several people, for, um, for Gordon. Uh, if you're a part of our fellowship locally or if you're a, a part of our fellowship far away, we want to make sure that you know that we pray for you uh, and we continually pray for you and we're glad uh, for that opportunity to pray for you. Uh, it's going to be an exciting day, guys. Uh, a lot of stuff. I believe the title for today is I thought I left it behind me. I thought I left it behind me. That's an interesting thing. We're going to start reading because we have a lot of questions, and I want to do some discussion today um, because that's going to be kind of interesting uh, for us. And so let's start Genesis chapter 42, starting at verse 1. Lamarcus, I already got my clock. All right, at 42 verse 1. I'm so thankful. I want to take the time to stop for everybody that's working around here. It takes a lot of stuff and a lot of moving parts and a lot of people doing a lot of things to make church work. And uh, I'm, I'm so grateful that we have people doing stuff here, there, everywhere. And I'm grateful to the team we have uh, that's making it so to all those who do something, that even if you think it's menial and small, trust me, it's not. And I appreciate it. I just want to say thank you. Why don't we just give a hand for everybody who does the volunteer work around here. All right, Genesis chapter 42, we've learned that a famine has covered the earth, and God has elevated Joseph to a higher position. So we're going to be going uh, with questions and reading. So we're going to read probably Genesis 42, uh, starting at verse 1, and go down to about verse 3. So let's read it together. You ready? Nobody's ready. Y'all ready? Let's, let's go. What does it say? When Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you look at one another? And he said, behold, I've heard that there is grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for use there that we may live and not die. So the ten sons of Joseph's brothers 
went down to buy grain in Egypt. I misread that a little bit, but you can read it on the screen. Praise God. Um, so I'll read that for somebody who may not have had it on the screen. So 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. That first question is very pertinent. It says, why would the brothers be looking at each other when the conversation about Egypt comes up? Because they learned that there's grain in Egypt and everybody's starving. So the next thing to do, if you had grain in Egypt, everybody would be excited about it, wouldn't it? Why is everybody upset? Why are they? And, and so much so that Jacob notices that they're looking. Can anybody tell me why they're, wor- they're worried about Egypt? Because of Joseph. Where did they sell their brother to? They, they, they intended to murder their brother, and when they couldn't murder him, or Reuben wouldn't let them murder him, they sold him to Egypt, so they're headed to a place that has some of their dirty secrets in it. Uh, it that's part of I thought I left it all behind me. Everybody say, I thought I left it all behind me. So that's, that's a good question. So I asked this question, um, how do we handle things in our lives that we have never confronted or dealt with? This is true of everybody. You can hide some things from people, but you can't hide anything from God. And at some point in your life, everything you do, you're going to have to deal with. It's going to come back to you. The Bible talks in Revelation about the great white throne of judgment, right? And what did it say? It says there men were given according to everything they did, the deeds while in the body, whether good or evil, which means that we may do some things wrong and get away with it or we think on this earth, but you're going to have to give account for everything. Jesus says that you give an account for the very idle words you say. Has anybody else in here ever had to have those thoughts? I hope that never comes back to haunt me. We got one honest person over here. Yeah, if any, Liz, Liz put it the best way. If anybody says they haven't, they're lying. All of us have something in our past that w- if we, we don't want going out. As a matter of fact, if I had the ability to put all our past up on the screen and I put a big projector back here, I'm pretty sure by the time I cut the projector on, whether you were on a cane or whether you couldn't walk at all, the room would be empty because all of us have something that we wish we could take back. And sometimes we wish we could put it all behind us. But if you don't deal with your issues, your issues, we talked about in the baggage series, didn't we? When we talked about baggage. You remember that? If you don't deal with your baggage, sooner or later your baggage is what? It's going to deal with you. If we don't handle these issues, they've had 20 years to make this right. And they have not made it right. And now all of a sudden they have an issue. Let's go over to verse 4 and read that. We're going to go down probably until verse 4 and 5. Let's read that together. What does it say? But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brothers, with his brothers, for he feared that harm might happen to him. Thus the sons of Israel came to buy among the others who came for the famine within the land of Canaan. So our question in uh, Genesis uh, number 2, Genesis 42, 4 says, Jacob is still governing his decisions based on his past pain. Notice that he made the decision to keep Benjamin behind, and he sent the other 11, but he kept Benjamin back. Why would he do that? Because he lost Joseph. So he's making his decisions based off of a prior event, right? And actually, he's making his uh, decisions off of false information because he thinks Joseph is dead and Joseph is really alive. So that's, that's a question to us. 
And I want to ask you this question. Have you ever had a trauma from which you found it difficult to move forward? Have you ever been betrayed in life and, uh, and now all of a sudden you're completely distrusting of everybody? Or you've had something that happened to you in your life? Anybody like that? You're driven by your fears? Um, some people that, that grew up in the Depression area, era, they had tons of money, but for some reason, they, you would look at them and they would still, they would take their lunch in a paper bag. Those were the type of people that would go to the restaurant out with everybody, and when they went to the restaurant, they'd bring their own food, or they go to the, they go to the movies and they bring their own popcorn, and they may have a million dollars, but they act like they had five. Why? Because they never got over the trauma of feeling poor, so now they've let their past govern their what? Future. How productive is that? How productive is it to always judge everybody in every situation by what you've been through before? Do you not know? A divorce is horrible, but you're twice as likely to get divorced if you get married the second time and even more likely to get divorced if you married the third time. Did you know that? Why? Because when you don't deal with trauma, when you don't deal with issues and past pains, you tend to try to make the new relationship pay for everything that was done in the what? Old relationship. So he holds his head a certain way or says something a certain way, and you just jump on up and down all over him. Why? Because he reminds you of Johnny. He said he's going to the store like Johnny said he was going to the store, but Johnny wasn't going to the store. Johnny was going over her house. So now every time he says he's going to the store, you following him in the car. <laughs> and you hiding behind the bushes <laughs> and things like that. She she said that she she said that 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 person she met was her cousin, but last time you had a relationship, it was her cousin. You found her over his house, not doing cousinly things. So now everything somebody do, you what? Suspicious. Is that a way to live your life? But isn't that how most of us live our lives? That's why deliverance. Everybody said freedom. That's why deliverance or freedom is important in churches because many of us are bound and we're not operating in freedom. The Bible says where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But many of us have been saved and we're still operating in fear from our past. And when we look at the grand scheme of it, what we're arguing about or what we're upset about is not really reality. His feeling is real. He has the, he remembers that feeling. Maya Angelou says people won't remember what, what you said, but they'll remember how you made them feel. And sometimes when you go back to those feelings and the negative feelings that, that you had, it will, it will make you disengage. Right now we talk about the number of people that are deconstructing their faith. And as we talk about apologetics, and I was listening to a, an apologetics um, tape today and I was talking about some things and they were talking about there are different reasons people leave the faith. Some intellectual but some of them are experiential because of what has happened to you in the past. Um, you equate everything in the church now church lady that used to yell at you and cuss at you when you was young. <laughs> or sometimes serious traumas. And when that happens, when you see that, now you can't enjoy the future because you're stuck in the what? Past. But obviously, he hadn't put it all in, uh, behind him. Now, I'm going to ask you an introspective, introspective question that all of us can ask, and I want you to do the work. Everybody said, do the work. That's the, next, that's the name of our next sermon series. Uh, believe it or not, the Lord says the same. What area of, in your life might be held hostage to a previous tragedy? I want you to think about that, and I want you to write that down. Is there something in your life that you can't move forward or some relationship that you have problems with, 
because of something that's happened to you before or something that somebody's done to you or infidelity or whatever it may be or betrayal, whatever the case may be that keeps you that if you'll be honest with yourself, I might have a little issue with that and I haven't completely healed from that. Because you notice something, he jumped right to it. He said, I'll send y'all, but I can't send him. Why? Because I'm operating based off of what happened to me before. I'm not free. My fear, everybody said fear is driving the bus. So we need to make sure we don't do that. And, and even if you don't get a chance to write it down tonight or, or while I'm talking, keep writing while I'm talking. Just listen to me. I want you to write this because I want this to be medicinal and I want, um, uh, want it to be healing. Number three tells us something perfect. Uh, perfect for this moment that Jacob did not yet realize that there was purpose in his pain. Everybody said there's purpose in my pain. What happens if Joseph doesn't get sold into slavery and now there's a famine in the land? What's going to happen to Jacob and his family? They're going to die. They're going to starve. So he's walking in fear. He's not he's he's in pain, but not realizing that although he's had pain, God is working it out behind the what scenes and everybody in our life. We like to reconcile. Right. We need to we need a reason. Sometimes we we make up reasons for our pain. We'll we'll say God did this because of X, Y, Z and God did that because of X, Y, Z. And he knew this. And the truth is what we're saying is not biblical, but the human mind wants us to be able to make sense of it all. A lot of us have been through some trauma. Jacob states, but nothing that would deserve him having thinking for 20 years that his his son is dead. But what he doesn't realize is that even though his, he's in pain, God knew he would be in pain and he's caught what letting that work out for his what good, because while the whole time while Jacob's in pain, God used that painful event to get Joseph where he needed to be so that it was working it out for his good. Somebody say it's working for my good. We say it all the time. We say that all things might not be good, but they can work out for the good. That if sometimes we're focusing on pain and we can't process, not realizing that God works in all things. God doesn't cause all things. God doesn't call, cause evil and, 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 and malice in the world. But sin does. But God can work in it and God can redeem things in it. And so it, it, that helps us that where we cannot always have to be bitter. Why did I have to make these mistakes? Because I made those choices. Why? Did I have to go through this? Why did this happen to my family? Have you ever asked those questions? Anybody ever asked the question, why? Why do I have to go through this? Why does this happen to happen to me? Why does this happen? These people are really despicable people. Let's be honest. We say stuff like that. Christians do. I come to church every Sunday. This person is bad, but this stuff seems to be happening. Why does this happen to me? You know what I'm saying? Have you, have you ever been in that situation? And, and we could ask why, not realizing that some things God knew was going to happen, but he's allowing those things to happen because he has a larger what? Plan. He's got a bigger picture. He's got a bigger purpose. He has a bigger plan. And so that's important for us to know that uh, he feared something. And it says he was in fear. It said, for he feared that some harm might happen to him. Sounds like they're working back there. I'm, I don't know if they're having trouble with the sound or whatever the case may be, but we're going to keep going. Um, Genesis chapter uh, 42, starting at verse 6. We're going to read all the way down uh, to 
to 13. But I want to ask this question. How important is it to trust God in the midst of our tragedy? Is it important to trust God when things are going bad? Very important. Because if, if, if you don't trust God, we good back there, God? If we don't trust God in the tragedy, things might not be the way we want them to what? Be. So it's important for us. How many of us have made the wrong decisions or given up not trusting God in, in the middle of things? And instead of becoming better, we became what? Bit, we, came, we became worse. We became bitter. Do you know anybody like that? I said that in a sermon not too long ago that life is 10% of what happens to us. It's 90% of how we what? We respond. Can we be honest? Anybody in here ever responded poorly to an issue before? That the world was down on you, and instead of making the proper choice, you made the one that felt the best. Because pity, there is no party that is so selling or so sweet as a pity party. Am I lying? How many of us have loved to be in a pity party? That it feels good when everybody's patting on us and making us feel sorry for ourselves. You poor baby, or as we say in the South, bless your heart. That you're going through things, but then we have to get somebody that's strong in the faith that'll say, uh, that'll pull up the word and say, no thing has overcome upon you, but such is coming to man. In other words, you're not going through anything that somebody else hasn't gone through what? Before. So get it to what? Together. Man. Yeah, we need to make sure that we get it. They don't like that. They don't like they don't like you to tell them, get it together. You got to get it together. Yeah. Yeah, that's a party of one. That's no fun. Let's go down to Genesis 6 and go all the way down to Genesis 6, uh, 12 through 13. Um, and um, I'm going to have them come back. Uh, wave at me if you guys, if, is there sound back there? Uh-huh. Okay. Okay. So some people had some trouble with sound back there. I was just making sure they're running back. Just wanted to see because they're running back and forth. You guys can't see the team back there, but I can. Uh, so we see right here, verse 6, what does it say? Now Joseph was governor over the land. He was the one who had sold all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. Where do you come from? He said, they said from the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. And Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed of them. And he said to them, you are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. They said, no, no, my Lord, your servants have come to buy food. We're all sons of one man. We're honest men. Really? Your servants have been, never been spies. <laughs> he said, said to them, no, it is the nakedness of the land that you have come to see. And they said, we, your servants, are 12 brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father and one is no more. But Joseph said to them, it is, it is as I said to you, you are spies. By this you shall be tested. By the life of Pharaoh, you shall not go from this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you and let him bring your brother while you remain confined that your words may be tested whether 
there is truth in you, or else by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies. That's a common common idiom that they would use by the life of Pharaoh. That's something that was they've actually found written in the inscriptions that you're lying. So let's look. It says Genesis 42, 12 through 13. We are honest men. There are 12 of us. How do you think Joseph evaluated this interaction? Because we notice that Joseph has had two sons. He's had Manasseh. And he said, why? Because God has caused me to what? Forget all those things. He's had another son. And when he named his son, he said, it's because the Lord has made me fruitful in of my affliction. In other words, I thought I put it all what? behind me. I thought my trauma was gone. I thought I was over this situation. And all of a sudden, in walks through the door the people that tried to kill you and sold you. And you are now the most powerful man in the world. Because Pharaoh says, my power, Joseph had. You are now looking at the people who did you wrong, and you are the most powerful man in the world. You can do whatever you want to them and get away with it. How do you respond? A lot of times in church, we say we're delivered, but we're not really delivered. We say, I'm over that. I'm over what did to me. I'm over that situation. But then you see him in Walmart, and all of a sudden, you flash red, and, you get, and, 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 and something bubbles up in you, and you say, I thought I was what? Over that. I thought that had left me. God, I thought you had took it away. No, it's just because it's not in close proximity to you. And now all those things are coming up to you. Can you believe how Joseph feels? And how do you think, how do you think he, he's not, he's not looking to say, I'm going to wake up this morning and the people that tried to kill me and sold me into slavery are going to walk in the door. Now all of a sudden they walked in the door. How do you think he's evaluating this right now? What do you think is going through his mind? confusion confusion he's surprised hurt a little hurt maybe what a little anger bitter can some of these emotions are there and sometimes if you acknowledge these emotions maybe you could get the healing but many times in christendom we're taught to pretend that those emotions don't exist and that we're above those emotions when the truth of the matter is healing comes into admitting yes i'm angry yes i'm hurt but god you can heal these what hurts he's in a bad position right now and they never mention the 11th one except to say he is no what more can you imagine the rage and all these feelings that are going to him at once? He thought life is good and something has come back to haunt him. You thought everything in life was good and then all of a sudden something from your past just says, hey, I know you thought you were over me and you were free and delivered from this. You've moved on with life and life is pretty good. You're at the top of the barrel. But guess what? I'm here to, I'm here to remind you where you came from. He's in a tough spot. How do we handle process and progress when people will not admit the damage they have done to us mentally, spiritually, or psychologically? These people have never even apologized for what they did. They just simply said, he is no more. After all you did to me, that's all you got to say about me? It, it, have, you, have you ever wanted this? Have you ever wanted to be at your own funeral to hear what people will really say about you when you're gone and you can't hear them? Anybody ever done that? 
Well, essentially, this is what Joseph is doing, and all he gets is one sentence. He is no more. Wow. So he's dealing and processing with some things. But that's a good question. How do we heal when people won't admit what they did to us? We, we have to accept it. We have to move on. Forgiveness is huge in this matter. It is. Uh-huh. That's the forgiveness. That's right. I've accept, That's it. I've accepted it that it happened. I've dealt with it and I moved on because if you don't forgive, it holds you what? It, yeah, it holds you back. It holds you hostage. And sometimes some people that have done you wrong, guess what? Are dead and gone. I've had this happen in my life. Some people will do stuff to you and they're dead and gone and they will never apologize. If you allow your forget your happiness to be in the hands of other people, you are now held hostage to somebody who's not even alive anymore. That's why we need to seek peace and wholeness in who? Jesus. We need to seek it in God. Forgiveness is not for the other person. I've often heard and told people that unforgiveness is like you drinking poison and waiting for somebody else to die. I just can't forgive what you said to me, and I just can't forget what you did to me. I'm up at night for it because I'm going to hurt you because I hate you. No, you're not, because while you up there getting ulcers and all that other stuff, you know what they're doing? They're sleeping good at night. They haven't not one time thought about what they did to you. They might not have even known it, and you are held bondage because you won't be allow God to set you free from some things. That forgiveness doesn't necessarily mean the person deserves it. It means that you deserve to be free from it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's true. You forgive for yourself. That's it. You can't move on unless you forgive. You have to forgive. And sometimes we don't forgive because we feel like if we forgive, we're telling the people that did us wrong that what they did was okay. That's not what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is to say, you did it, it was not okay, but I choose not to live my life in this place anymore. Joseph have never really had to deal with this. He's been covering it up. He never had to come face to face with what's happened. So let's go down to verse 18. What does it say? Is this helping anybody tonight? Yeah. Praise God. I, I believe this will be a huge help to, uh, to them. So verse 17 says, and he put them all together in custody for three days. I, it doesn't say it, but I can imagine he enjoyed that a little bit. He got a little, little joy out of throwing his brothers in jail for a few days. And what does it say? Verse 18, uh, we're going to go all the way to 18 to 20. What does it say? On the third day, Joseph said to them, do this and you will live for I fear God. If you're an honest man, let one of your brothers remain confined where you are in custody and let the rest go and carry grain and famine uh, uh, for the famine of your households and bring your, to your youngest brother to me so your words will be verified and you shall not die. And they did so. Wow. Now, why do I want to stop there? Because there's a powerful question right here. 
verse 18, it says, Joseph leaves his brothers in prison for three days, but more importantly than that, he has time to what? Process what has just happened. He doesn't immediately act because many times the, the best way to make a situation worse is to act right now. One of the best things I've ever gotten in marriage counseling was when I went to marriage counseling. Dr. Holland said to me, Willie, I was a young man. I was in my 20s. He said, the best advice you could ever have is that when you're in your marriage and you're angry, do the opposite of whatever you feel. Because when you're angry, whatever you feel is the wrong answer. <laughs> so he doesn't immediately act to this. He puts him in custody for three days. But now, and more importantly, it gives him time to process what's really going on. It has, I have time to deal with my anger. I have time to deal with my stress. I have time to really evaluate what's really happening so I can make a good decision. Has anybody ever made an emotional decision before? Did that work out? It didn't. Most emotional decisions don't work out. You know what? Many marriages would probably still be together if we didn't allow our emotions to let us get that last word that jabbed the knife in the heart. The best time when you're going through trauma sometimes is to stop and evaluate. The Bible says, be quick to what? Listen. Slow to what? Speak. And slow to wrath. But most times, we don't listen at all. We're quick to speak and we're quick to wrath. How do you know somebody's not listening to you? If I'm speaking with you or having a conversation and we're conversing, if you get start talking about to me before I finish what's coming out, you know what that means? You haven't listened to one word I what said, which means you haven't taken the time to process. This is not going to be a fruitful conversation. I need to make sure we just say, hey, let's revisit this at a better time. But we don't want to do that, do we, Brother Lamar? We want to win. We want to win. I'm right, and I need to show you I'm right. And you're going to learn today, and then next thing you know, it's even worse than it what could have been. So he takes three days. He's got him in prison. What, what, what's three days going to do? I got time to process. I get to go to bed at night so they see what it's like to be in prison in the pit. I can't help but think that Joseph probably is enjoying this, saying, I want you to see how it feels for once. But he has this time to process how important is it to delay an action on an emotional item until you have prayed, self-assessed, and sought clarity. How important is that? When you're angry, is what you see, Lamarck, really what you see? Brother, Pastor Ernie, when you're angry... Is what you're feeling really based off of reality? Or is it, that's a real feeling, but is it really based off reality? It's not, is it? So if you make a decision on this, I often tell people it's not the fact that people make bad decisions. It's that they make good decisions with bad information. I'm going to say that again. I'm going to say that again. Uh, Victor says, say that one more time. It's not that most people make bad decisions is that they make good decisions with bad information. They are making decisions based off of what their feelings told them reality is. And they are responding to their feelings instead of taking the time to self-assess, taking the time to pray, and taking the time to get clarity. Sometimes even in a situation saying, maybe I need to go talk to somebody else and talk to them to see if what I'm really feeling is what really happened. Because the Bible says a godly man seeks what? 
wise counsel and that there is safety in what multitude of counselors we don't see in the scripture that joseph went and talked to anybody uh, but at the same time joseph has time to process he has time to pray and get clarity proverbs says wisdom is a principal thing seek wisdom but on all thy getting get understanding everybody says seek to understand not to be understood Somebody needs to put that in the chat. It's not that people don't make bad decisions all the time. It's many times that they make good decisions with bad information. You're getting information fed to you from how you feel. And when you do that, you miss the promise. Can I be honest with you guys? We were, we were having a swimming, swimming uh, thing, and I've, I've been taking, taking, taking the kids to want to swim because I couldn't swim. And I didn't. I told the kids we can't go until we. I learned to swim, and I've been not doing so well at the swimming lessons. I, I, I'm akin to a rock. When I get in there, I kind of go under. I just fall. And, and we were going, and I, I had something that kind of upset me. And I was. Everybody said I was in my feelings. And it happened right before it was time to go to the swimming lesson. And I got in the pool, and I just be honest, I was mad. I was mad, like they say at home, I was 38 hot. I was hot. I was hotter than the end of a pistol. I was mad. I was disgusted. I got in that pool, and even the pool couldn't cool me off. And I said, you know what? I, it was the last lesson. I said, I'm just not going to learn to swim. I'm not going to float today. It, it's, it's just it. I'm over with. I said in my mind, Robin was over there with Haley, and they were doing their things. I said, they're going to learn. I'm not doing nothing today. I just can't do it. I cannot do it. I I'm, I'm just don't feel it. I really didn't feel it. I was feeling bad. I got depressed. I was upset. And, and I was you know how pastors do we try hey bless god how you doing today but in the inside i'm boiling i'm just like oh gosh i just i, I just want to go home I, I feel sick feeling in the pit of my stomach and you know what i did i sat on the edge for a second and i started to talk to myself and i said so ain't us this is our feelings and i just preached a whole sermon series a few months ago on baggage and not letting our feelings drive the bus God, how do I get these feelings under control so I can do what I need to do? And I began to pray in the pool. I should have baptized myself. I was dunking under uh, to go. But, I, but when I got myself together and I began to pray and not let my emotions have control, I went over there and I said, you know what? I'm going to do the opposite. This is going to be the day that I learned to swim. Why? Because feel like I'm on the beginning of a breakthrough and I begin to think that the enemy is allowing stuff to happen so my emotions will keep me from this victory because psychologically it was a fear factor for me. It was something that I was scared of the water and I needed to break. So what did I do? I held my nose. I stuck my head on the water. I kept it under the victory as long as I could. I opened my eyes and so I could see and realize I was underwater because that was really what was keeping me from it. I faced the fear. I assessed and I prayed. I got over to the place and I I said this time the lady didn't have, have to ask me i said i'm ready now whether and, and guess what happened when i began to speak to my fears and tell them hey, guess what happened i got a little bit bolder and i jumped out there and i started doing it and usually by this time this is the point where i'm spitting up water and they saying go lean over the side because i got water in my nose and i'm choking but i didn't this time and she said you know what <clears throat> You're doing a little bit better. I, I got to go down here and check on these people. And I went back over and I said, Phil, you're not going to have me today. You're not going to ruin my day. I'm going to deal with this emotion. Yes, I felt that way, but I'm not going to allow my emotion to dictate how I act. I still was angry. I still was a 
But what I was telling myself, you're not driving my bus today. <coughs> Preachers get mad. Honest ones do. Preachers get angry with folks. Honest ones do. They may respond differently. Preachers get depressed. Honest ones, sometimes, yeah, they do. That second time, I, I, I looked past my fears, and I pushed out there, and I, I pushed away from the thing, and the lady said, I'm going to hold you, turn around. And, and when I turned around, she touched me on the back. I said, good, I'm safe. She's holding me. And she said, well, just start kicking your legs and moving your hand. I stopped focusing on the fact that I was angry. Said, you know what? I'm determined to do this today. Feelings, you're not gonna drive the bus. And after a while, I said, Where is she? I can't feel her. She was way over there. She said, Oh, you've been swimming for about 15 yards. And in my spot, I conquered a fear. Why was I scared? Because when I was young, I was on the way to a pond. And on the way to that pond, I had a cousin and his friend drown. They were fishing, and I couldn't go fishing with them that day. They were fishing the day before. They went the next day, and my dad had finally told me that I could go down there. I turned around, and when we went to pick up my mom, they had drowned. I've been scared of water and in bondage ever since. And I almost let my feelings and my emotions and anger get me out of a breakthrough. How many times have we not really stopped self-assessed and prayed and we allow our fear and our anger to drive the bus and we do not accomplish what God has caused us to accomplish because we can't tell our emotions to sit down, shut up, and be quiet. And the reason we can't tell them is because we're really not introspective. We're not honest with ourselves. We're angry. And people say, why are you mad? I'm not mad. Yes, you are. <laughs> <laughs> I feel just fine. I wouldn't be like this if you wasn't just getting on my nerve. No, you have a problem with anger. It's not them, it's you. But you're not self-aware and you won't ever get better and get healing from it because you don't take time to stop, self-assess, and pray and see where you are. When somebody makes you mad, to be honest and stop and say, I'm angry right now. Why am I angry? And don't let it be because of what they did. When you say, why am I angry and what's happening to me? The next thing you need to say is, why does this bother me so much that I'm getting angry? Why can't I grow past this? What's going on in me? Yeah, you're not the only person that has that problem. Yeah. Mark shaking his head. Everybody shaking their head. Yeah, it's people online probably saying hallelujah and some that are scared because they don't want people to know it. But a lot of us have those what? Problems. We won't be honest with ourselves. And we're 50, 60, 70, 80 years old still acting like children, throwing tantrums and won't grow because we won't be honest with our what? Self. And say I have a problem. We see maturity in Joseph. Joseph put them in prison partly, probably so they could see how it feels. But Joseph also knows if I talk to them right now, the only thing that's probably going to come out of my mouth is off with their head. Let me get a little time to think about it. Mm. It's amazing what you see in the scripture. 
Most times, the sixth question says this. Most times you do not have to tell the wrong person that they wronged you. Often we wait for the offenders to confess their wrongs. Many times they never will. Can you imagine being Joseph? He's listening, and we're about to read that in a second, to this and replaying all the events in, the, in his mind. So let's listen to what he's listening to. Let's go to this. When, he, when they begin to talk, and, and I want you to get this in context of what's going on. Uh, we stopped at verse, what verse do we stop at? About verse 20? Verse 20. Uh, so let's go to verse 21. Uh, let's read that together. Verse 21 says, what? Then they said to one another, in truth, we are guilty in concerning our brother that in, in that we saw the distress of his soul. And when he begged us and we did not listen, they knew they were doing him wrong. He was begging for his life. And they were that evil and cold hearted. Yeah, they were sitting there having a meal while he's crying and begging for his life. Let's keep reading. That is why this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered them and said, did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? <laughs> but you did not listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. Nobody's even brought up Joseph. So you know what this means? It's always on their conscience. They all, as soon as something happened, they, the first thing they equate, this happened to me because of what I did to Joseph. They got the telltale heart going on. And, and so we see this, let, verse 23, let's read it together. They did not know that Joseph understood them, for there was an interpreter between them. No, he was speaking in the Egyptian language. They didn't know who he was. He used an interpreter to speak to him. So they assume, just like people do, that drives me crazy when I go to the gas station or when I'm, I'm someplace eating, and, and I don't know if you're having a conversation about me. And you see, seriously see me here, and then you, you guys start talking in, in English to me, and then you start talking in a different language, and I don't know what you're saying. I'm like, wait a minute, what are you saying about me? Sometimes I do speak the language, and I do know what, what you're saying, a little bit of it, but I just pretend. But, it, but most times I don't. But can you imagine that? You're sitting there and they're being candid because they think they're having a private conversation and they really talking about what they did to him while he's standing right there Woo. and he's the most powerful person in the world somebody said I can't be Joseph mm -mm. I can't be Joseph that's amazing that's why we're talking about this many times they never will he is listening and replaying all of those events in his mind how can we handle dealing with people in a Christian way that never apologize to us? Sister War? Mm -hmm. They didn't know. Their conscience was killing them. The, the, there's a book by, uh, it's not a Christian book, but it's by Edgar Allan Poe. It's called The Telltale Heart. And the, the, the crux of the story is this man kills somebody, and he, put, he, he basically buries him in the floor. And he eventually gives himself away because every time somebody comes over to the house, they don't suspect, but he can hear, boom, 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 boom. He can hear the heartbeat of the man. Now, the man's heart, heart obviously is not beating, but his guilty conscience is what? You don't have to ask nobody for your money when they borrowed it from you. They know they owe you money. 
They know they did you wrong. When people have done you wrong, they know it. But that's the first thing that comes to their mind. So for 20 years, they have dealt with guilt because of unconfessing. That's actually the next question, uh, Sister Wolf. So you, you, you're very intuitive. How about that? <laughs> We're going into the next question. So that is amazing. He never said anything. His name is Hapshanapaniah, something like that. He's had, he has an Egyptian name. There's no, it's been 20 years. There's no reason that he should even be on their mind. But they know that they're what? Guilty. So question number seven says this. And for those of you who don't have the questions, if you'll, uh, if you'll send us um, your email, we'll, we'll get those emailed out to you uh, with, the, with the rest of the people we send them out to if you want to uh, be with this. That's very good. Sister Warf, I'm going to let you teach this because that's, that's actually this is question number seven. <laughs> uh, it says, how often, look, let's read question number seven together because I want you to see this. How often have we felt the weight of guilt because we have what? Unconfessed sin. The U.S. even has a federal conscience fund for those who are guilty of cheating the government. Did you know that? They started in 1811. There is a such thing as a federal conscience fund. That's a thing. They made it in 1811. I think the first contribution was $5. It's for people who have cheated on their taxes or have done something wrong and took postage and didn't pay for it. And your conscience is riddling you and, and you have to pay it. Do you not know in the past 175 plus years that there's been over $5.7 million given to the, to the federal conscience fund? Because people want to give that money back because although they got away with it, they thought they got away with it. Guess what's bothering them? Their conscience. They can't. Everybody say, you can't get away from your conscience. And if you do, I'm scared of you. <laughs> so, this is funny, but this is true. It says, the letter was once written to the IRS as follows. Dear Internal Revenue Service. This is people sending money to the conscience fund. I have not been able to sleep at night because I cheated on last year's income. Enclose, uh, find a cashier's check for a thousand dollars. If I can't, if I still can't sleep, I'll send you the balance. <laughs> That's a real letter. <laughs> Here's a check for a thousand dollars, and if I still can't sleep, I'll send you the rest. Even the federal government knows that the conscience is a powerful what thing. You can't just keep doing people wrong. And, and so people, a lot of times, you get upset because, like, I wonder do they know what they did to me. I need to tell them what they did to me. I'll be better if I tell them what they, they know exactly what they did to you. It's not going to make you feel any better to know. They know exactly what they did to you. We as believers have, and we can read this together because I love this, uh, that came up in the question. Let's read it. Ver uh, this is the bottom part of the question seven. It says what? We as believers have a quote-unquote conscious fund. We are made new through expiation. And I'll tell you what that is in a second, expiation or atonement. But guilt can still burn us down. Uh, burn us down. Expiation is basically... Um, that I, we are made completely clean. When God does, our, does away with our sins, the doctrine of expiation, uh, it means that we're completely wiped away from our sins. Atonement, God has made us at one with him. But sometimes, even though we're saved and God has saved our sin, uh, us from our sin, don't we still do, deal with a little guilt? From our past, our things come back to haunt us, but guilt can still burden us down. Thank God for confession. He is always on the line for us to release our confessions to him. That's why it's important. As the, the secular man was saying, confession is good for the what? Soul. Why do people go to counsel a lot of times? 
lot of people go to priests because things are burdening them down. And they'll say, forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. He can't forgive you. God has to forgive sins. But, it, but you feel better. It's been so long since my what? Last confession. I'm trying to get this stuff off of my chest. I feel like I've confessed it and bur burdened it. That's a biblical thing. What does 1 John 1 and 9 say? It's right down the paper. It says, if we what? Confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That doesn't mean go around telling everybody your business. What it does mean is that you've got to be open and honest with God. It amazes me how we try to be fake with God like we were fake with, with others. We try to come up with these wonderful prayers and use all these doctrinal statements and it's okay to pray the scripture but how many times did you try to really get over on God you know you were mad and you want to pray that God run them over and but you said God I want you to give them the biggest blessing in the world no 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 be honest with God you know why I like the Psalms because the psalm my mother told me this when I was young she says baby no matter what you're going through in life you can find it in the psalm so when you're going through something you can find it in the psalm these are songs and songs come from people's what heart so you can hear people saying lord take their skulls and dash them against the rocks that's an imprecatory song that's in the Bible. You hear David saying, Lord, take my enemies and give them the worst punishment possible. Take them out. You don't believe me? Go read it. You don't have to take my word for it. And in the middle of the psalm, all of a sudden something shifts. And David said, but then I put my trust in you and I re realized that you are my strength and my comfort and my redeemer. What are we seeing? We are seeing David having a realistic conversation with God. God, I'm angry. God, I don't want to pray for my enemy. I want to run my enemy over with a Detroit bus. That's what I want to do. God that's what I'm feeling and I might as well be honest that I'm feeling it no need for me to lie and play all these religious games like I don't get angry God I'm mad I'm upset and I'm hurt be real with yourself that's the thing that we have to learn and somebody said be real with yourself be honest with how you really feel, but at the same time, you don't stay there. You say, I'm angry, but now, Lord, now that my feelings are here, but I know what truth is, so I'm going to hold on to truth. When I lost my mother, that's all I had. When I was sitting right about where Lathe was sitting, and I'm sitting here looking at a casket, and this woman who's held me, and I could always count on, and no matter what mistake I made, she loved me, and my reality says that I'm going to see her again one day, uh, and, and my reality says that I should rejoice when when people leave and, and and cry when they come into the world but somehow in my dna it's not working like that i feel like my heart is wrenching out and being on the floor and i had to be honest god i'm 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 i'm, I'm angry and, and so what i did was i asked the choir to sing a song it, it it said my hallelujah belongs to you you deserve it and what that did for me is while i was sitting there in pain on on, on the floor all of a sudden i heard you deserve it. In other words, God, you deserve my hallelujah. And it took my mind to truth. It didn't negate that I was feeling pain, but it said, God, this is my worship that even in my pain, you are still right. You are still good. You're still true. I can be honest with you. I don't understand this. I really can't process this right now. I'm still going through this, but I'm going to lose my mind if I don't realize that you are true and all your ways are right and your ways are higher than my what? Ways. 
and your thoughts higher than my thoughts. You know what I don't know. And that's what keeps us here is the truth, the straight edge of God's word. So sometimes we have to be honest with ourselves and honest with God. And let's go to uh, 21 through 23. And, and, and we're, we're going to uh, read this question. We got a couple more and we're going to be uh, be finished. OK, uh, verse 21. Let's let's read it again just for context. Then they said to one another, you can hop in with me. In truth, we are guilty concerning our brother and that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered them, did I not tell you not to sin against the boy, but you did not listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. They did not know that Joseph understood them and that there was an interpreter between them. Then he turned away from them and wept and he returned to them and spoke to them and he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. And Joseph gave orders to fill their bag with grain and replace every man's money in his sack. Wow. And to give them provisions for the journey. This was done for them. Then they loaded their donkeys with their grain and departed. And we'll go down. You have to read some of that. But the context is from there that they leave and realize that when they open their grain bags, they're upset. They think that God's trying to get them because the money is still sitting in the grain bag so what are they thinking he gonna think we stole his grain and when we go back he's gonna kill us God we sorry but this is the thing they weren't upset I want you to read this verse 21 through 23 question 8 the brothers do not show remorse for their actions they are simply reconciling the consequences guess what they're not sorry because of what they did they're sorry because what they did is coming back to haunt them there's a difference between repentance and regret. Ooh, Jesus. Everybody say that again, and we're going to type that in the chat. There is a difference between repentance and regret. Regret just means I'm sorry that I'm having to deal with the consequences. Yeah. Yes. That's it. Mm-hmm. That's it. That, that's, that's it. And some people have many false conversions to Christ. Because if you're going to come to Christ, you got to repent. You got to submit your whole mind and change what you're doing. But many people... God because they are sorry about what they've done. They are sorry for the consequences. My life is beating me down. I'm in a bad place. That's why a lot of people find Jesus in jail. Some of them really find him, but some of them just, they sad that I'm in this situation, so I'm, I don't have a choice but to turn to God. There's a difference between repentance and regret. Repentance means metanoia, which means to change the mind. In other words, that I'm changing my mind. I did this to my brother, but, but, uh, but I'm going to do better. Victor, can I use you for an example? Vic, Vic, I talk to Vic all the time. Victor is a choice A1 mentor for young boys. And sometimes we've had conversations. Every Victor sometimes wishes that some things as a father he could have done better. He couldn't do, he can't go back and redo the past. But his repentance is that I've changed Victor and I'm a new person and I'm doing better for other people in the future. And so although I can't go back and grab the past of my boy, I can intermittently try to do better for other boys in the future. That's repentance. Regret is feeling sorry for yourself because somebody don't want to talk to you no more. Repentance means I've changed. That's it. 
That's it. We can do better now. That's it. They don't have to be difficult. You you got a better parent. Uh, yeah. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's it. If you don't learn from those mistakes, you repeat. They carry out. Haley got the Haley got the worst father. Anna has a better one. Unfortunately, Haley, I that was my practice. I learned with Haley, and Haley looking like I wish I'd been last then. But at the same time, Haley came out to be a phenomenal child. But you learn as you grow, and as you grow, you what do better. That's what Christianity is about. It's not uh, about perfection, but perfecting. Well, what's the difference? Oh, somebody said it's not about perfection. It's about perfecting. It's not about never making a mistake. It's about getting better. That learning from those mistakes. Repentance, changing the mind. Perfection. I am doing. I, I apprehend not to have. I have not apprehended. But this one thing I do. I forget those things which are behind. And I look at those things which are ahead. And I press for the call, call. The mark of the call of the prize of the high caller. Which is in Christ Jesus. I'm not perfect. But I'm perfecting. That's when he says, uh, walk thou before me and be thou perfect, Abraham. He's simply meaning that word perfect means mature. Walk before me and grow up. Sometimes we need to tell that to ourselves. Everybody say, I need to grow up. Let's read this last part because we, we're about out of time. They said they're simply, ver uh, and uh, number eight, it said they're simply reconciling the consequences. Reuben seeks to justify himself, but he still stays silent for 20 years. Isn't it amazing? Well, I told y'all not to do it, but you've held this secret for 20 years. So you want to look pious, but the truth is you're just as guilty. How many suffer because we know the truth of abuse, but willfully turn a blind eye? And this is important for us because there are many people like Joseph that are they're victims of abuse. Children abused by boyfriends or girlfriends or a new spouse or a family member that wouldn't believe them when they said that something happened to me that was horrible. Yeah. 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 That's it. Yeah. Forgiving somebody does not mean that you don't make things right. Even if you've done something wrong. If you know you've done some, somebody wrong, if something's come up to your mind or not, you're like, you know what I did that person wrong. Make it right. Just go, just go make it right. If they're dead and you can't make it right, Write a letter and send it to their address or go read it at their grave. Do whatever you have to do to get that off of you. The Bible says if you have a gift at the altar, if you're in worship and your brother has an altar against you, leave that gift at the altar, get up and go make it right. Then come present your gift to God. Last two questions so we can get out. Verse 25 says, 
Um, and I want to read verse 25 because that's important. Because Joseph, what it says, you see what he does? He sends them with grain and puts the money back in their saddle. So he gives them enough to provide for their family. He's taking enough time to pray and assess that he does good by them, even though he's probably still angry and hurt by them. We know he's still hurting because what does it say? When they're talking in his face, he can't even take it. He had to go away and cry and then come back. I want to talk to somebody who has to do good for people, but you're still not healed yet. That don't mean put yourself in the path of abuse again. But it means to do good to all people. Even if that means I can't talk to you, but I'll pray for you. He gives them food, gives their money back. This says, verse 25, question 9, the level of our maturity can be seen in how we respond to those who have wronged us. You want to know how, you, how much you're growing in Christ? Have you forgiven the people that hurt you? Can you do good to them? But when you think about them, do you think about doing other things to them? We see at the end that Jacob, when they go back and tell Jacob this, and I want to read verse 38, we're out of here tonight, but I want you to see something of why they're even in this conundrum in the first place. The overarching thing is that uh, Judah is the carrying the promised seed and God's in his sovereignty giving provision for that promised seed. But I want you to look at the dysfunction of this family because it speaks to us. They basically go back to him and say, hey, dad, we got to uh, we got to go back. I know we lost uh, Joseph, but uh, now we lost Simeon, too. I often wonder why he picked Simeon and we will never know. But I'm thinking maybe the reason he may have picked Simeon is, number one, who were the two angriest people who murdered people? Simeon. And uh, Simeon and his brother. And, and so here's the deal. You heard other people saying we could sell him or do these other things. The only people that would love. And Reuben said in front of him, I told y'all not to do this. So maybe he said the person who was trying to kill me was you. So I'm going to wait. And we'll see next week that they don't come right back. This is not a short journey. This is anywhere between 50 and 200 miles to 500 miles between Campbell, depending on, on, on where they were located specifically. So he's going to be here in prison for a while <laughs> until they get back. And his daddy leaves him there because he don't want to give up his other boy. But let's look at verse uh, 37. Then Reuben said to his father, kill my two sons. If you do, if I do not bring him back to you and what's happening is uh, Jacob says, mm -mm, you're not getting you're not getting my uh, Benjamin. I'm not sending him. And he says, if I don't bring him back to you, kill my two sons. But I want you to look at verse 38. Well, listen to what he says. He has still not learned. Let's read it together. But he said, my son shall not go down with you for his brother is dead and he is the only one left. Wait a minute. He's talking to his sons. But he looks at his sons and says, you can't have Benjamin because he's the only one left. Can you imagine if somebody said, you go out with your brother, Vic. I don't care what happens to you, but make sure he returns safe. Ooh, that's hurtful, isn't it? He's the only one left of the And what he's really doing, he's bringing up old grudges. The only one left of what? The only one left of Rachel. 
What, you really, what is he really saying? I never really loved your mama and I never really wanted you. These two were my prize and one of them has been taken away from me and I'm not going to let you take the other one. Can you imagine being one of his children? If harm should happen to him on the journey that you are to make, you would bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to Sheol. That's the first time we see in the Bible the reference of Sheol or the grave. I thought I'd put it all behind me. I thought all the past pains and trauma were going to be up. And then I was in a grocery store and I saw you and everything, all the emotions came flooding up. And I had to think, how would I respond? And if you're wise, the next part of that is I went and I prayed. And I did the opposite of what I felt. He wants Benjamin, and the reason he wants Benjamin is not just because he wants him, because Benjamin is his only technically full-blooded brother. I don't believe in half-sisters and half-brothers, but if you would say they have the same mother and same father, and he's hoping they haven't done Benjamin what they did to him. I want to speak to somebody as we close, and we took a little bit of extra time today, but I think this subject is important. Is this, this helping somebody tonight? that you've been covering up stuff and pretending like you're holy and spiritual and just using religion for anesthesia. You know, we do that sometimes. We use the pastor for the anesthesiologist. We come in here and hope that he'll shout us and make us happy and we can pretend and not deal with issues, but we go home and we fight and we bickle and we quarrel. Our marriage is horrible. Our life is horrible. We're angry at work. Our job is bad because we got anger issues because we are using church for anesthesia. We said we had good church. You know, when I think we had good church, it's not the times when worship is high in here and people are crying. You know, when I think we had the best church, like Sunday when everybody was quiet, you could hear a pin drop. You know why? The Holy Spirit is sitting on your rope. It's hard, isn't it, Pastor Ernie, to teach that to young preachers because young preachers, we equate how good we preach by the reaction. If people jumping up and they saying we good, that's great. Half the time, that means I didn't listen to a word you said. <laughs> when you go home tonight, if you're online, I want you to stop and I want you to revisit. I'm not trying to make you upset, but honestly assess your behavior. And see if I'm acting out of previous hurts that I haven't ever dealt with. Some of them may be physical. Some of them may be mental. Some of them may be spiritual. Some of them you may need physical help from a doctor. Some of it you may need psychological help from a counselor. Some of it you may need spiritual help from discipleship partners and from God in prayer. Because you minister to the needs of the whole man. But don't be this way. Joseph didn't have a choice. He's highly functional. Think about that. Most powerful man in the world, and he's still broken. We put our trust in money and stuff. And he can't even stand in the room and see his brothers without going out and crying because of the trauma that they've caused with him. Everybody has broken places. But thank God we have a God that can heal them. Any questions, any comments as we get ready to close? Yes, sir. Or two. Who up? Okay. Uh, Ernie and then Sister Pat.
Yes, sir. Yeah. Hmm. People people seek seek peace and solace and other things other than God, the true God. Um, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. You never know. And isn't it amazing that God is at work in Joseph? They try to kill this boy. And he's keeping them alive. Can you imagine how many times he has to cry at night saying, God, why do I have to do this? Why do I have to be good to people that hate me? That's torment. I tell you, there is no torch in the world than getting on your feet, on your knees, and having to pray for somebody you know hates your guts. But I can also tell you, there's no more freeing feeling to know that I'm not I'm free and I'm not bound to hatred. If you're in hate and unforgiveness, you are a slave. God can set you free today. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yes. going to be in prayer for him. Mm. Mm. We'll be in prayer for that. We're going to be in prayer for that um, today. Before we leave, we'll pray for Gordon on the way out. If they still have us online, I just want to, if you don't mind, I want to pray for all of us who may need some issues that we need to handle. Sister Worf, did you have something you need to say? I just want to pray for us because if we're honest, all of us had had to do this. We've either been wronged or we've wronged somebody or both. And if we'll be honest, probably both. And so... We can't just put it behind us and pretend like it never happened. God wants us to deal with those things. Let's pray. God, I thank you. I first ask uh, for healing for Brother Gordon and um, that, that he uh, begins to reverse in the course that's going on. God, and I pray uh, for those people that are online and that are in this building uh, and myself, Lord, that we can see ourselves and deal with our past hurts, deal with our past pains. And if we wrong somebody, we can be honest enough to say, I'm sorry. Uh, it might not undo the damage, God, but that we can lift those burdens. And God, help us, Lord God, 
to live the way that you would call us to live and give us courage that we can face our past, not run from our past, so that we can truly heal because we can't heal until we face it. And I pray a spirit of freedom and deliverance over all those who are listening to my voice right now or in the future, whenever they're listening, it's right now for them, God. I pray that over them in the name of Jesus. I pray grace and peace from God, from Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Lord God, let it cover them and set them free. And I pray now that the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will rest, rule, and abide with us forever. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Somebody give God a hand.